Jonah chapter 2. Throughout the book of Jonah, you're going to see this theme of mercy. You see judgment throughout, but you also see in the midst of judgment, God is a merciful God. Uh, We noticed last time that we talked, uh, the mariners, the sailors, uh, though they were pagan to begin with and were calling upon their little g false gods to stop this storm. You remember the story, Jonah had gotten on the ship, he was sailing off to Tarshish, trying to get as far away from God's presence as he could, which is impossible. Yet he was running from his calling, he was fleeing, he got on the ship and so God brought in a storm. And no escaping the storm at sea. The sailors are freaking out. Jonah, meanwhile, is down in the bottom of the ship, sound asleep. Captain comes down and says, Arise, you sleeper! Wake up! Call on your God! They've been trying to call on their God. Nothing's changed in the situation. So maybe this guy down in the hole knows a little something. And so, who are you? Who are your people? Jonah tells them, I'm running. It's true, I... I, This is my God who's doing this. He's the God of land. He's the God of sea. He actually starts preaching to these sailors. And so at the end of chapter 1, we saw that they were uh, responding. And what can we do to, to make this storm stop? What can we do? Jonah says, you know what? If you throw me overboard into the sea, that'll take care of it. Just kill me. Just be done with it. And so they heed the prophet and... Throw him overboard. And the storm stops. Now, this is pretty, little, this is pretty amazing. I want you to, to read this. Go, Just kind of maybe turn back wherever you're at there on chapter 1 because I want you to see this at the end of chapter 1. Verse 14, the sailor said, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Now notice this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And this is some uh, Hebrew language here. Basically, translation, they got saved. They got right with God. This was so traumatic that they uh, believed in the God that Jonah had proclaimed. Now think about that for a second, guys. Just imagine for a second. These sailors, now they're sailors. They're used to storms. So this is a pretty bad storm. They are so freaked out. They're so fearful. But then, after they throw him in, and it ceases, now they become exceedingly afraid. Now they're really petrified. That's a sobering thought. Let that sink in for a minute. They went from basically wetting themselves, you know, because the water's coming overboard, um, to now really being like... (gasps) And so, man, they were broke. They surrendered. Even in the midst of judgment, what could have taken them out, God extended mercy. God extended grace. Even though Jonah could have been squished for even trying to go away from God's call on his life, God didn't just squish him. Oh, he spanked him. 
Spanked him good. We're going to hear about that today. But he showed mercy. Jonah is full of mercy. This book is full of mercy. And so as you read through it, it's easy to focus on the judgment aspect of things, and we should. But I also want you to see the mercy that's extended in the midst of this judgment. So here we are in Jonah chapter 2. And so let's read this chapter in its entirety, and we'll go from there. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Let me back up. 17, because you've got to get this context. 17 should have been here in, in 2. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Father, I pray for recall this morning. I pray that you will use this message, that you will speak through me, that you will give us ears to hear. Lord, challenge us in our heart and our walk today. May we sit at your feet this morning and hear from you. You are the God of the land and the sea. And you are the Lord of our salvation as believers. And so, Lord, may we hear clearly what the Spirit has to say. Teach us. And then help us to heed and put into action what you're calling us to. Help us not to flee, but to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll notice there you have an outline in your... I don't know why this thing's going crazy this morning. Any little help there, Captain? Somebody? We'll stay there. Just stay there. That'll be fine. We'll go through it this way. The power of the Lord, chapter uh, 1, verse 17. We'll see that first. Then we see the prayer of Jonah, chapter 2, 1 through 9. And that's where we'll be most of the message today is in the prayer of Jonah. And then the puke of the great fish. Hey, I had to stay with a P. Trust me, it's much better than the one I had. My wife made me take it down. Don't ask. The power of the Lord, <laughs> the prayer of Jonah, and the puke of the great fish. Hey, it's there in the text, man. It's a natural outline. So let's look first at the power of the Lord uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 17. Remember, the men have just thrown Jonah into the sea. And they're scared, and they repent, and they, they make vows, and they offer sacrifice, and they become followers of the true and living God. And then we see here, 
that in verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now hold on a second. Hold on one minute, preacher. Come on. You expect me to believe that a fish swallowed a man and he stayed underwater in the, in the ocean or in the sea for three days and three nights? You are, man, this is why you Christians are idiots. Some people are going to treat you that way, right? This is, this is one of the most assault books in the Bible. Get used to it. The critic, the skeptic, the scoffer, they're coming after Jonah and the prophet. They're going to come after it. I want you to consider uh, what Pastor Chuck Smith had to say on the authenticity of the story. Listen to this for a little. Let this, let this sink in. He, we're going to need a little help on this one, Captain. Can you try and get that page pulled up for me? There you go. Whoop. Back, Jack. One more. Back. There you go. Thank you. You just walked me through it. I don't know why this thing's got a mind of its own this morning. Notice first, Bible critics have had a field day with the book of Jonah. They claim the story's too hard to swallow, pun intended. They speak of the possibility of a man being swallowed by a whale and surviving. Now, by the way, the story here declares that God prepared a great fish, not necessarily a whale, all right, so if somebody wants to argue, well, you know, technically in that region of the water, those types of whales don't have stomachs. To, you know, let them go there. That's fine. All right, it says they prepared a great fish. Don't get hung up on that one, all right? Don't strain at the gnat and, and other people are going to swallow the camel, whatever. All right, um, notice next, you'll see that um, he makes the question, do you believe that man is able to make a fish-like object? in which over a hundred men may, can submerge under the water and remain for several, several days and then be deposited at a dock? Who in here believes that can happen? That a man can make something? God, it's called a submarine. I'm not talking about the sandwich. Oh, but God, God can't. Guys, if, if you can accept man's capacity to make such a vessel... Why do you have problems with God doing it? Oh, because man's smarter than God. I forgot. That's, that's why you believe that, right? The difficulty is with the limited concept of God. If He created the whole universe and all of the life forms within it, surely He would have no difficulty making such a fish to serve His purposes. Would you be more comfortable if the story read and a submarine... I don't know why it's doing that again, bro. You have to stay with me on this one, okay? Just, just hear what I'm reading and you can see it too. If you can accept man's capacity to make such a vessel, why do you have problems with God doing it? The problem is that there's a limited concept of God. If He creates the whole universe, all the life forms within it, He's not going to have a problem designing a fish for His purpose. Would you be more comfortable if the story read, He goes on and says, and a submarine surfaced and the captain ordered the crew to take Jonah on board and they returned to the shore where they let Jonah out. Wouldn't have a problem with that one, would you?
Notice it did not say God created a great fish. I mean, it did not say God created a great fish. The word that's actually translated here is provided. It literally means assigned, ordained, or appointed. There's your fill in the blanks in case you fell asleep. The word that's translated here, it doesn't say he created. It's the word that's used for assigned, ordained, or appointed. In fact, this word is used four times in the book of Jonah. You're going to see this word in its original form four times in the book of Jonah. And it always, 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 always points to the Lord's power to accomplish His will. I say that's a pretty important word. And that is one of the most wonderful truths that we can glean from Jonah's experience. God is accomplishing His will. His will be done. I want to read to you this quote from Phil Johnson. And um, now it's working. Before we get to this next, let me, let me read this uh, in regards to what we're talking about in reg- this fish, this great fish. Listen to this if you would. This is presented to us as a miracle. All right? You want to get that cap? Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. This is presented to us as a miracle. And as such, it's no more or less believable than any other miracle. Think about it. From the human perspective, one miracle is just as impossible as the other, right? Hear me on this one, Christian. If you're tuning out, you need to tune in. You need to hear this. Would it really bolster our faith in this miracle to know that the same thing had happened under natural circumstances to others? You see, there's this big story that goes around in the, in, in the, in the 19th century that, oh yeah, there was this fisherman. He fell overboard and he was swallowed by a whale and they, the, they, they killed the whale and they, and they drug it out and they cut the belly open and the man was still alive. How many of you heard that story told before from preachers? I've told that story before. You can, get, you can research, you can find it, you can see pictures. You can see, there's a lot of information. In fact, there's literature writings that actually reflect and record this so-called story. Newsflash. Professor from Messiah College did an intense, in-depth uh, look into history, and he actually came to the conclusion that it was a hoax. Sorry, Christian. Can't use that one. But you know what? That's okay. So what? I don't need the natural to explain the supernatural. That's why it's called that. Listen to what Phil Johnson goes on and says. This is excellent. He says, how is this any more improbable than to... uh, He said, well, let let me back up. Would it really bolster our faith in this miracle to know that the same thing had happened under natural circumstances to others? In other words... So does it really matter that we don't have another great fish eating a man today? Does it really matter that we don't have fishes this size? Who knows? Maybe we do. I think we do. But why do we go there? How is this any more improbable than, say, the axe head Elijah made float? Guys, remember that story? How is this any more impossible than Christ walking on the water? Do you have a hard time swallowing that one? 
or opening the eyes of men born blind or any other miracles of Scripture. Once you start to doubt miracles on rationalistic grounds, you are on the road to reject them all. It's a dangerous step toward unbelief. So if you're looking for me to give you scientific arguments about how this might have happened or how Jonah got enough oxygen in the fish's belly or any of that, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you that this was a miracle, pure and simple. A creative miracle of God. We don't need evidence that this might occur naturally in order to believe that it happened. Scripture says it, God personally prepared this fish. And whether any species of fish this large is known to exist today or not is irrelevant to me. God created this fish for the moment. And I know of no reason God could not have done this. My faith in God's Word compels me to believe it. If that sounds simplistic to you, I'm sorry for you but I make no apology for taking God at His word. We don't need rationalistic arguments for miracles. I don't make them for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you? Because when we do, then we find ourselves in the liberal camp sometimes, don't we? Well, maybe it was a swoon theory. Maybe he really wasn't dead. I mean, if we're going to explain things naturalistic, you see, the pro you see the point Phil Johnson's making. When the Scripture speaks authoritatively, and here it speaks authoritatively, it says God prepared a fish. He ordained this. He assigned this. He created this for this purpose. In those moments, I can take God at His word. And so this is why your pastor in this church is a firm believer in, uh, again, I don't need science to tell me in the beginning. Because I can tell you right now, that's a miracle. You show me someone who can speak and a universe leaps into, into existence. You, you show me someone who can bring life into a full-grown man. First off, form him from the dust of the ground. Guys, the Scripture is full of miracles, and that's okay because if God is God, then He's a God of miracles. I make no apology for taking God at His word. The prayer of Jonah... Here in chapter 2, he's been thrown overboard. He's, in the, he's, he's sinking down. He's descending. We looked at that last week. And, and then all of a sudden, you see the great fish comes up and takes hold of him. And it's there that we find Jonah praying. Some have called this Jonah's psalm. And the reason is, as we'll unpack... You got that? Thank you, sir. I'll just do this at you, Carb. Um, we're going to see five things in this in this prayer, if you will, that Jonah uh, begins to cry out. Um, again, this is, it's interesting because 
we've been looking at last week how Jonah went down and he went down to the ship, he went down to Joppa and he got in the lower part of the ship and now he's going down into the ocean. Now he's in the, down in the belly of the fish. And so you see this descent. But yet he begins to recite what the scriptures are known as the ascent prayers, the ascent psalms of ascent. And he begins to quote some of these. This shows that Jonah was a man of God's word. He knew God's word. And you'll see that come out in his prayers. Ever talk to somebody and you, you can tell they just know the scriptures because they may not give you the address, but as they're talking, scriptural language comes out. They'll say things that, that are from the scriptures and it's just part of who they are. It's just part of who their speech it sort of comes out. Because I think that's important. I think that, again, because uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now again, that's not a litmus test of, of, of believers, non-believers. Even Satan quotes Scripture and knew it better than most of us. But still, does Scripture fill your heart? I think it filled Jonah's heart, and I think in a time of crises, that's when it really comes out. You wring a, a rag that's full of water, and it's going to start to drench if you put pressure on the outside. Jonah's got some pressure on the outside, and look what starts to come out of his, of his heart, of his life. He's going to quote, just to give you a few, Psalm 18, 6, uh, Psalm 42, 7, Psalm 31, 22. He's going to begin to say these things, and you'll, you'll note these as you go through the text. Maybe your cross-references give you that. But here's five things Jonah uh, uh, does here in his prayer. The first thing is, Jonah cries out, verses 1 and 2. Jonah casts out, verses 3 and 4. He's cast out. Jonah's closed up. Verses 5 and 6. Look at these words in your text. If you see, these words uh, leap off the page to you. Jonah's confession, verses 7 through 8. And then you'll notice Jonah's communion, verse 9. There. And so that's the outline. This is where we're going here in this passage of, of Scripture. Notice first, if you would, Jonah cries out in chapter 2, verse 1. Thank you, sir. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now, I know the scripture tells us that when we pray, we should not be as the, as the Pharisees, right? Stand out on the street corners and raise our voice. So we'd be seen by man. He says, go into your prayer closet, right? Pray in private and God will hear you in private and award you in, uh, openly. <laughs> well, this is a prayer closet like none other. Notice where he's praying. Hey, look, we can pray anywhere, anytime. If you can pray in the belly of a fish, you can pray anywhere. God's listening. God hears you. Christian, don't wait till the crisis to call out to the Lord. Spend some time in prayer. We need to be cultivating this in our life. And I know if there's one discipline in our life that if you're, if you're like me, that we probably get away from is the real commune time with God. We need the prayer time, guys. Jonah begins to pray, begins to cry out. And notice, God heard his cry of repentance. You know this is a cry of repentance. I mean, Jonah is in his affliction. He is in his circumstances. He is in trouble. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. You know, sometimes God brings some affliction into your life so you'll spend some time with him. So you actually start talking to him again. He's right where we left him. You know, we like to spend time with our kids, right? Our kids like to spend time with us. Your Heavenly Father, He's the same. 
in that. He wants to spend time with us. I think it's important that we understand what, that whatever happened here with Jonah in the fish, whether he was... Some have tried to make this argument. They've tried to say, you know, when Jonah uh, went down into the sea, he died. I think J. Vernon McGee has preached this, holds to this. I like J. Vernon McGee. There's great theologians that debate this. And the reason why they go here is because if you remember in Jesus... In fact, let's go over here. Let's look at this passage. Everybody hold your spot. Go over to Matthew. Let's look this up. Matthew 12. I want you to hear from Jesus' words himself. By the way, guys, we talked about this the other night. If Jesus says it and affirms it, you can believe it. If Jesus says it and affirms it, you can believe it. And um, again, I, I know uh, many good apologists, Tyson can help you with this, uh, authenticate from God's existence to the miracles of God to Christ and Christ confirming the Old Testament and New Testament and so therefore we can be authoritative when we say that we believe we have the words of God. Anyway, it's a lot more complex than that, but yet simplistic at the same time. Just right now, I don't want to go into all of it. See Tyson for more tonight, right? Stay tuned. Um, so Jonah cries out. Notice God heard his cry of repentance. And, and again, I think it's important that we understand this because a lot of people have said, well, you know, did Jonah die? Is, is he in the belly? You know, is, it, is he revived? Because, here's why, notice in Matthew 12, verse 39. Here's the scribes and the Pharisees, and uh, they say, we want a sign from you, teacher. Jesus, give us a sign. Show, show us something then if you're really God in the flesh. Show us something. Notice what Jesus says. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus didn't have any problems believing the story of Jonah, did he? He affirmed it as authentic. He affirmed it as authoritative. He affirmed it as being accurate. He affirmed, uh, he affirmed it as being real. It's a real story. It's a real account. And of course, to the generation Jesus is speaking to, he's saying, look, oh, you want, you want me to do a sign? Here's a sign for you. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the grave. And he'll rise. So some say, oh, well, see, in order to fulfill this, then Jonah must have died and then came back to life. Wouldn't that? No. Again, we, should, we learn this through Hebrews. My wife duly noted this the other day. We were having this conversation about this. The, the type, the shadow is never as good as the real thing, Right? So we could say this is like a foreshadowing. This, look, this, this is not the real... Jesus is the real thing. I don't need Jonah having to die and coming back to life in order to believe that Jesus died and came back to life. Jesus is the real thing. This is a type. The temple on earth, the tabernacle, started off as a tent moving through the desert. Then it became a temple, right? In, in, in Solomon's temple and all its glory. But that still ain't even close to the heavenly tabernacle. 
right? Remember Hebrews, how we talked about all these things? Types and shadows. So I don't have to have Jonah dead. And in fact, the argument is he couldn't be because it says here, while in the belly of the fish, he prayed to the Lord, right? So I think he's alive. Now, imagine for a second. I I don't know. I don't know how big the fish was. I know it was prepared fish, but I don't know how big it was. But think about this for a second. I, I just envision in my mind, he is in tight quarters. I think he can barely move. I think he's constricted. He's, he's wrapped in seaweed. We're going to look at that in a second. He's in bile. He's in fluids, that, digestive fluids that are acidic. There's stinky, stanky, nasty, cruddy fish that this giant fish has been eating. The stench is worse than sandpiper when the AC goes out. I mean, it's bad. But Jonah's trapped in this mess, and he begins to cry out. I think whether we understand this is literal, that Jonah died, or, or he's going to die, or whatever, again, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't matter. What I think is important that you and I focus on here is that when we're facing death, death has a way of making a person deal with what really matters. Any of you ever had near-death experience? That'll get you attention, won't it? That'll sober you up. You know, part of my testimony I don't always share, but at age 25, out at a night having a little too much fun, and there was no doubt in my mind I was going to die. And there became this gripping fear that just paralyzed me. And I thought in that moment, this is what it's like right before you die and go to hell. That thought gripped me. It gripped my soul, it gripped my mind, it gripped my heart, and I was scared. These men were freaked out, scared, when a crazy storm was happening, and then it went silent, and they saw the power of God in that, and then they were exceedingly afraid, and they fell on their face, and they paid vows, and they sacrificed, and they cried out to the Lord. Jonah, from the midst of his affliction, it says, he cries out to the Lord. He thinks he's dead. He thinks he's dying. And he sees in this moment, this instant, of what really matters. And guys, I can tell you, in that moment, I fell to my knees and I literally grabbed the grass of the ground that was there at my my knees that I was laying on and I pulled it up out of the ground and I just remember crying from the depths of my soul the God of this grass the one who's created and given me life please forgive me and I remember just tormented in that moment of fear that I was die. I was going to die this is it I'm dead and at 3 o'clock in the morning going down the interstate still with this this looming fear that death is coming for me and there's no escape. Right there in our bypass lane, head on, is a car doing 70 plus. All we see were headlights and my dad swerves and we miss this car from taking me into eternity. That was real, guys. That was a real moment in my life. 
And so I know what it's like to cry out to God in a moment of desperate affliction. But let me tell you, from one who's lived through that and experienced the mercy and the grace of God, it doesn't always come. I'm sure there have been countless who've stepped into eternity that are still crying today in eternity. If only, if only, if only. What's important has become important. And so from my life experience, from the life experience of Jonah, whether it be Nebuchadnezzar, whether it be the Apostle Paul, who've had these drastic moments of conversion, and not all moments are like that. But guys, let me tell you, in the eyes of eternity, whether you were raised in the church and you came to saving knowledge of Christ, you were still on the brink of hell as much as I was. Apart from the grace of God. Apart from the mercy of God. And God met me with grace and mercy. And He would have been just and He would have been right to have allowed me to step into eternity. But I remember thinking and pleading and praying. And by God's grace and mercy, He's allowed me to pay this vow. God prepared a great fish for Jonah. Jonah cries out, verses 1 and 2. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, out of the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. Amen. This is a a prayer of praise, guys. I can say, hallelujah. God heard my voice. Notice verse 3, he says, for Jonah's cast out. Notice who Jonah says threw him in. The previous chapter said the sailors threw him in. Yeah, they they tangibly picked him up and threw him in. But it was God. Notice what Jonah says. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep. You, he's talking about God. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Jonah knows why this is happening. Listen, I knew why this was happening. Okay, I was raised up knowing what was right and wrong. I chose to walk away from it. I was the one who was actively living in rebellion. I knew better. I was running from the truth, guys, at age 25. I was running from it. Some of you are here today and you're running from the will of God. You are like Jonah. You are like me. This is what makes Jonah such a powerful book. It's a mirror to us. There are many areas of our life. Every one of us are fleeing from God in some area. Because none of us have arrived yet. And it's only by the grace of God we're not consumed in judgment. It's only by the grace of God that we're experiencing His mercy... And even in the spankings that God gives us, He loves us and that's why He's calling us to return, to stop the fleeing, to stop the rebelling. And this is why repentance is not a one and done. It's a continual aspect of our life as followers of Christ. It's a daily, sometimes it's a minute by minute, where the Spirit of God nudges us to die to self. And so we see this. You know, this reminds me when he, when he talks about being, uh, being cast out or um, 
makes my mind goes to Joseph. Remember his brothers throwing him in the pit, leaving him for dead. They were jealous of his. They throw him in there, take the garment that he he had. You know, hey, my daddy gave me this special garment. You know, robe of many colors. You know, and they dipped it in some animal blood, took it back to their dad, Jacob. Oh, he's been Joseph's been killed. And you know the story. I love what uh, I think it was Frank Hamrick used this illustration from the pit to prison to the palace. That's the journey of Joseph. He goes from the pit into the prison and then from the prison into the palace. And then we pick up that story uh, uh, in, in Genesis 50, 20. But as for you... You meant evil against me. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. But you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about at, as it is this day to save many people's lives. Isn't it good to know that regardless of the stinky circumstances, that even when people do something that's bad to you, if it's part of God's plan, if it's part of His providence, He's allowing it into our lives that... All things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. This was just part of God's plan for Joseph's life. This is that tension between evil and good in the world. And yet, how, how great as a believer to sit back and know no matter what Satan should do, no matter what evil shall become upon us, no matter what wrong is perpetrated upon us, our family, our friends, and our lives, that no matter what, it will not thwart God's plan. Now notice, the circumstances weren't good. I'm sure he's not in the pit going, man, this is awesome. I am in God's will. But he understood as he matured through these things to be able to look back and say, you know what? Y'all might have meant it for evil, but God knew what would happen. God knows that sometimes a little sand in an oyster, it gets a little, you know, little irritation on it and it just really aggravates it and just wears on it and just really just chips away at it. And then all of a sudden it produces a beautiful pearl in the end. Amazing. And guys, our faith is tested by fire. That's how it's purified. That's how we become stronger. That's how we shine forth as a bright jewel for God's glory. So Jonah's cast out. You know, I guess if, if you could say about Joseph's life that he went from the pit to the prison to the palace, I guess we could probably say with Jonah, he went from the ship to the shark to the shore. Hallelujah. Why not? You know, Jonah tried to run from the call of God. He went to Joppa, found a ship sailing to Tarshish. That's the opposite way God wanted him to go, right? Three times it's mentioned that he was seeking to escape from the presence of God. And then notice there in that Jonah 2.4, he says this, Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I will look again towards your holy temple. The, 
this little phrase right here. You think about it. In Jonah's day, where was the presence of God? Where did they go to meet with God? Where was the presence of God? It was in the Holy Temple. If they wanted to be as close to that, that was their mindset. That was their thought, right? And so here's Jonah trying to flee from the presence of God. Three times already we've seen it. Now he's in the belly of the fish praying. And he's crying out in the midst of his affliction. And he's in a repentant attitude. God's got his attention now, right? And he is crying out. And yet in the midst of judgment, though he's got one foot in the grave and he thinks this is, might be a final, this is it, you know. Elizabeth, this is it, I'm coming. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But anyway, some of you do. This is that moment. And yet he has hope. I will, I will be in your presence again. I will see that holy temple. He's holding on, not Shirley Temple, holy temple. He's holding strong to God. Guys, I'm going to pause right here in this one. So hang on to your notes, put it in your Bible, you can bring it next week, because we'll, we'll, I know some of you OCD people, man, I didn't get to finish my blanks. I ain't going to be here next week. Well, feed your sheet to somebody else, or go on with you and watch it, and we'll get it straight. So let's bring a little application as to where we're at in the Jonah story. Are you fleeing from God? Got some circumstances going on in your life? Maybe, just maybe, guys, these circumstances are there to draw you back to God. Maybe, maybe we're a little further away from where we should be in our walk. Maybe there's this pull on our heart of repentance. Maybe there's this need to, to, to draw near to God. We, we're not at death's door necessarily. Maybe, maybe that's not your case or situation. Maybe it's just I've kind of gotten a little outside of bounds. In apathy, complacency. The presence of God is not in front and center in the priority of my life like it, it should be. Because as a follower of Christ, you have been called. I have been called. And no matter who you are, big, small, tall, little, short, stubby, doesn't matter what your profession is in life or what you do or don't do, God has called you as a follower of Christ to be an ambassador for Christ. And we live in a world of Ninevites. And we got a message. And it's a message of hope in the midst of judgment. Let's be faithful to share that message. Let's pray. Father, uh, I pray that um, you allow this truth to sink into our hearts as we continue to study the life of Jonah. Lord, that you would just help us to respond to your spirit to do business with you in areas. Um, just put your finger on, on our hearts and lives, Lord. Help us to, to surrender. Lord, I see in the, in the prayer of Jonah a heart of thanksgiving because he knows where the mercy came from. He knows if he got what he deserved, he would have perished in that sea. And yet, Lord, you've prepared a way for him to be saved, to be rescued. And Lord, we're not different. We've been tossed into this world where there's storms that rage, and yet, Lord, we find ourselves maybe sinking in our sin. And yet, you've prepared a way. 
You didn't give us what we deserve. You've given us grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are, for your goodness to sinners. And Lord, we pray collectively here this morning that you will continue to please be merciful to a world full of Ninevites. And you'll forgive us for fleeing from our call. And Lord, I pray that we'll look to you to lead us, to empower us, to guide us, to take the message of hope to a lost and dying world. And we will give you the praise because you alone are worthy of those praises. In Jesus' name we ask and we pray. Amen.